questions about your life. The reason the Bible addresses worry directly is because of what it actually does to you. It's tough to find clarity in life, meaning in life, when you're experiencing worry or locked in the grip of anxiety. Worry and anxiety are not going to go away on their own. Worry and anxiety are not things that you can ignore. But according to these teachings in the Bible, worry and anxiety are real. They are realities. They must be dealt with. They must be addressed. You must focus on them. And what that means is you really have to evaluate how you think about things in your life. How often do you step back and you go, why do I think that way? Or why do I always come out with this certain perspective about these things? Uh, Why do I think this way? How am I thinking? What are the mechanics of my thinking? Therefore, you have to do that if you want to address worry and anxiety in your life. Welcome everyone to another wonderful episode of The Salty Pastor. You'll notice that uh, my compadre, Jesse Mayer, is not here with us today helping host. And that's because he is off on his honeymoon celebrating his nuptials. That means wedding ceremony that we had uh, last fall. And so they're off and I just hope he's having a great time enjoying the sun, celebrating his marriage. We're really happy for him. If you're uh, listening to the Salty Pastor for the first time, our, our goal is to coach you up in your faith. We want you to think for yourself. The more you know, the more you can grow. So like and subscribe, like and subscribe. If you want to uh, go to YouTube, look up the Salty Pastor, and then if you could click on like, thumbs up, and then click on the subscribe button, that would help us tremendously because our mission is to continue to reach out and grow. Uh, if you'd like to support this ministry, this uh, Salty Pastor podcast, you can do so by going to foothills.org. And then on the give page, you can give directly to the Salty Pastor. You just kind of gives you different options, you know, general fund, missions, and the Salty Pastor. You can give that way if you'd like. We're just continually seeing this uh, influence of this podcast grow. And I think it's going to continue to do what God wants to do. We're, we're closing in on 400 episodes. So there's no shortage of content. And one of the things about the Salty Pastor that we like a lot is that we're willing to dig into what the Bible teaches, but also how it applies to any and every circumstance that we're facing today. So we talk a lot about a lot of things that a lot of people don't talk about normally. So glad you're with us. Become part of the Salty Crew. Today, we are going to continue in a series uh, titled Weeds in My Garden. It's an honest conversation about mental health. And so we're looking at everything the Bible has to teach and everything our society is doing concerning mental health. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about it, and so it's important to understand these principles. But we've also looked at how our society is creating a situation where there is more mental health struggles for people. And so that's a big deal. And I think that we really need to... um, you know, ask ourselves why that is happening. Uh, On Thursday episodes, we tend to dig into that more. Today, we are going to just talk about the whole issue of worry and anxiety. So to start off, does the Bible have anything to say about it? And of course, 
as always, it does. So let's start off. Uh, I want to read a couple passages of Scripture to you. I'm going to read Psalms 13, uh, verse 2. And it says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Okay, so I think that's really interesting. How long will my enemy triumph over me? So uh, in some translations, like New American Standard, it says, How long must uh, my anxious thoughts multiply within me? Then in Psalms 94, verse 19, it says the following. It says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. And then if you flip over to Psalms uh, 139, verse 23, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, put me to test and know my anxious thoughts. So there's a bunch of references in the Psalms to worry and anxiety in particular. If we go to Isaiah, uh, 35, what we're going to do is we're going to, he kind of makes a reference to it in verse four. And it says, one too many pages over. He says, say to those with an anxious heart, take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come and he will save you. So it's interesting if you have, he says, if you have an anxious heart, take courage. Now, if we go all the way over to the New Testament, um, we're going to find some things, uh, not only in the Gospels, but Philippians uh, chapter 4 is kind of the last chapter there in, in Philippians, and he addresses the issue that a lot of the people were having uh, concerning anxiety and worry and all that kind of stuff. And this is what he says, beginning with verse 4. He says, oh, I'm sorry, that's Galatians. Sorry about that. Got to get over the right book. I, th I thought I was in Philippians. I was in Galatians. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Now, notice what he says. He says you should rejoice, but you can only rejoice in the Lord. So that's a critical component. Verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, so situations can cause anxiety. He says, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. So talk to God about it. Do it in prayer and you do a petition and do a petition with thankfulness in your heart or gratitude. He says, this is how you can be anxious for nothing in any situation. He says, if you do this, verse 7, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we see a lot of teaching in the Old Testament and the New Testament about anxiety and about worry. But probably the most famous teaching on worry and anxiety is by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 6. And I would like to read this 
for you. And in, in my Bible, it's really interesting is that they, they put in like little section titles and these aren't in the original text, but just to kind of give you an idea of what Jesus is talking about or Paul or whoever's writing in the New Testament is writing about. And they do this for the purpose of helping you find stuff more quickly. In on Matthew chapter six, the title to this section is the cure for anxiety. So I thought that was apropos, which means appropriate. Verse 25. Jesus says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life. Now, it's interesting because anxiety in a clinical sense also uh, uh, is, it has a different nuance and flavor to it. We'll dig into that more. So what he's saying is, if you have anxiety about your life, in other words, the direction it's going or the way you're living it, he goes, I don't want you to be anxious for your life, particularly concerning what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? I find this really odd that he approaches this teaching this way. And the reason why is because two of the most basic human needs to survive is protection from the elements, which is clothing, and food. You, you have to eat. If we don't eat, if we don't drink, we die. And what's interesting is he says, even though these are two of the most critical needs for survival, your life is more than that. So it really gives essence a, a drive or a focus on the fact that your life is meant for something bigger and meant for something more than just food, drink, and clothing. And so he goes on to say, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field and how they grow. They do not toil, they do not spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? Now it's interesting. He says, not saying that you shouldn't take care of these things. What he's saying is, don't be anxious when you are saying these things. For all of these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, these are people who are living for just basic everyday things. To them, a Gentile was a pagan, right? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, that is a very famous passage. Uh, if you've been a follower of Christ for very long, I'm sure you've heard it or read it. And there's a companion passage to it, and that's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And it's very similar, and I just wanted to read it as well, because they're both taking, you know, a quote from Jesus in his teaching, and he's probably taught this over and over and over again. 
every time he goes to a different crowd, every time he goes to a different village, he's teaching these things over and over. And so what we're seeing here is the different flavors that he would use in teaching. And so Luke records it this way. So he said to his disciples, for this reason, I tell you, do not worry about your life as to what you are to eat, nor for your body as to what you are wear. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Now in Matthew, he says, consider the birds. But Luke says, consider the ravens, that they neither, snow, they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a day to his lifespan? Therefore, if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about the other things? Consider the, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither labor nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself to be like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things are what the nations of the world are eagerly seeking, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be provided unto you. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourselves money belts that do not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroy, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you see a little different flavor, but the main themes are very, very consistent. And so the one thing I like that's different in the Luke passage as opposed to the Matthew path passage is that is uh, verse 26. After he says the phrase in verse 25, he goes, you can worry all you want. It will not lengthen your life at all. And then 26 of Luke chapter 12, he says, therefore, if you cannot even do this little thing, why do you worry about all the other things? In other words, if you can't add time to your life, which is a pretty small thing in this, you know, in the schematic of of uh, time, why would you worry about all these other things, which are a lot lesser? So what are the biblical principles from all of these passages, the Old Testament passages, New Testament passages, and this teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and in Luke chapter 12? Well, first and foremost, I think we can actually establish the fact that worry and anxiety are real and they exist. If the Bible is addressing something, we know that it is actual reality. It does exist. The Bible's addressing it. The Bible, of course, is a library of books. And these library of books were assembled to try and answer the biggest questions in life. It won't tell you how to make a lasagna. It won't tell you how to turn off the ringer on your phone or fix your transmission in your car. All it does is it will answer the biggest questions of life. Why we are here? Is there a point to life? What is this reality that we live in, this space-time continuum, you know? Um, the second thing I think is really important to understand is he says this, worry and anxiety interfere with the right answer to the biggest questions about your life. The reason the Bible addresses worry directly is because of what it actually does to you. 
it's tough to find clarity in life, meaning in life when you're experiencing worry or locked in the grip of anxiety. There's something about worry that short circuits your capacity to live as you were truly meant to live at peace. And there's something about anxiety that stops you from living the complete or full life that Jesus has promised in the gospel of John. So when your most important questions are unanswered, the most important things you need to know about your life remain unanswered, then your life is adrift. There's no way to anchor it. Okay. Therefore, worry and anxiety increase and worry and anxiety interfere with your capacity to discover and know the thing that anchors your life, the foundation on which you build life. So maturity in faith, strength in faith, courage in faith. These things require a person to overcome worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety are not going to go away on their own. Worry and anxiety are not things that you can ignore, but according to these teachings in the Bible, worry and anxiety are real. They are realities. They must be dealt with. They must be addressed. You must focus on them. And what that means is you really have to evaluate how you think about things in your life. How often do you ever challenge yourself with the following question? Why do I think the way I think? Or how often do people evaluate how they think about things? We spend most of our time thinking about things and coming to conclusions and forming opinions. But how often do you step back and you go, why do I think that way? Or why do I always come out with this certain perspective about these things? Uh, Why do I think this way? How am I thinking? What are the mechanics of my thinking? Therefore, You have to do that if you want to address worry and anxiety in your life, okay? Because worry and anxiety are a way of thinking. They are a process of thinking, and that process of thinking produces a outcome in your life. And if you ask people who worry a lot, they will say, I wish I wouldn't worry so much. So they don't like the process of their thinking, And people who have anxiety often say, I want to be free from anxiety. It's so debilitating to me. So people who struggle or plagued with worry, people who struggle with anxiety or experience anxiety are not in a place that they want to be. So in order to get out of that place, they have to look at how worry is a pattern of thinking, how anxiety right? Builds on that pattern of thinking to produce a visceral response in your body. You have to understand that and then intentionally address it. So how do you do that? Well, based on the biblical teaching, we need to define exactly what is worry and what is anxiety. Worry is a mental response. It's a way of thinking, right? A mental response to an actual situation in your life. For instance, your parents, your teenager's out. You tell your teenager, be home at curfew, which is 10 o'clock. Your teenager always comes home at 10 o'clock, right? Well, it's 11 o'clock now. Your teenager is not home. You haven't heard from them. You're worried, okay? So that is a real situation. 
Psychiatrists would say that worry is not always such a bad thing because what worry does is it it forces you into problem solving when addressing a certain situation that is causing worry. Some psychologists say that worry is a response to a true and authentic situation in your life, an actual reality. Anxiety, though, is something different. Anxiety is a visceral response. And what that means basically is that it is an emotional and it can be a physical response, you know, like uh, sweaty palms, vertigo, various things like that. It's so it's not just something in your head that you're thinking about. It also has a physical response. So anxiety goes one step further than just your head, right? It impacts your emotions, your physiology. And this visceral response is often to a non-existent or a non-actual situation in your life. Okay. So what happens is when people have anxiety, psychologists use these terms is that you go into a situation and something triggers your anxiety, your emotions go in a certain direction. Your palms can start sweating. You can get shorter breath. Your heart rate increases. uh, You can get vertigo. Uh, people with severe anxiety can, you know, even pass out. Uh, so there's this visceral response, but what's interesting is that you can have that response, even though there's no actual situation that should cause that response, right? It's something that triggers that. And so what's interesting is that this is when you get into the discovery and kind of doing a deep dive on the formation of neuropathways in your brain. And so in a way you could say that worry, a habit of worrying about actual situations can start to begin to form neuropathways in your brain and lead to anxiety so that you have a visceral as well as an emotional and intellectual response to a situation similar to worry. But uh, even though there's no actual threat that's happening in your life. So that's basically what worry is and that's basically what anxiety is so uh the the last question is this when you have an issue with worry and you have an issue with anxiety you have to ask yourself well if i address these patterns of thinking is it possible to overcome worry? Is it possible to overcome anxiety in my life? I think this is a really important question to ask yourself if you think about it, because sometimes we uh, get in patterns of thinking and we never take a step back and we never think about how we're thinking or our patterns of thinking. When I was a young man and I just started out in the ministry uh, I was frustrated about something and I was frustrated about this. I was talking to a guy who's kind of a mentor and he said, he said, Doug, you, the problem you have is you're too personally involved with your own life. And I thought about that. That doesn't make any sense because it's my life. It's all personal. And, but over time I have thought about that over and over and over again. And what seemed like a riddle started to become wisdom in my life. And what that meant is, is that when I'm too personally involved with how I feel 
about something or what I think or my opinion, what ends up happening is I lose the capacity to evaluate how I'm thinking about something. What is my pattern of thinking in this situation, right? Uh, case in point, if you're a person that that doesn't like to be challenged or people share opinions that that disagree with your opinion. Let's say you're at a party or a social event and you say something and then someone disagrees with you and then you get bent out of shape, right? Or you, you feel embarrassed about it. Do you ever stop and ask yourself, well, why do I get bent out of shape? Why do I get embarrassed? Why do I feel embarrassed when somebody disagrees with me in a public venue? And you start to dig into that. You realize, wow, I've been so personally involved in feeling embarrassed or uh, being taken aback or offended. I never actually got out of my own personal headspace and asked myself the question, why do I do that? And when you ask yourself the question, why do I do that? That opens up a whole area of growth and expansion in your own life, right? One of the best things to do in prayer is not go to God and say, God, I have this list of things, you know, this, this person that I work with, they say these things and they always make me mad and they're always ruffling my feathers. They're always stepping on my nerves, God. And I want you to help that person find another job. The better thing to do in prayer is to go and say, God, I always have this response around the, this person. Why do I always have that response? Why does this person bother me? Why? That's when, boy, God can really start speaking into your life is when you you cannot be so personally involved in your own life. You take a step back to kind of look at yourself, evaluate yourself. This is one of the most incredible capacities of what it means to be a human being. And I believe it's what makes you a spiritual being. And that's called transcendence, that capacity to take yourself out of your own situation and look at it from a different angle. And so that, that's really important. And it's critical to the belief to the hope that you can overcome worry and anxiety. So what are some biblical mechanics? Uh, and I want to get these out and talk about these uh, before our podcast on Thursday. And these, I think, are right here in the text. We see them. And these are what I call the biblical mechanics for dealing with worry and anxiety in your own life. Okay? First is this. Identify the things that create worry or anxiety in your life. Uh, people who are dealing with anxiety, sometimes severe clinical anxiety, has been diagnosed, they are taught to look for the triggers, right? It's like, okay, well, what triggers this? And so that they can start to ask themselves why, evaluate it, and deal with it. Now, some people uh, worry about certain things, and they don't worry about other things. And it's really interesting that way. There's some things I worry about that, boy, I can get really concerned about. Uh, there's other things that happen. I'm not worried about a hell beans. Doesn't bother me at all. And so you got to figure out for yourself, what is it that I worry about? And what is it that creates anxiety in my life? And one of the best ways to do this is just to take a notepad and just sit down and start making a list. And if you're married, ask the person you're married to, especially been married, you know, over 20 years, you got two decades under your belt, then your spouse probably has a good idea of what causes you to worry. Write those things down. Just make a list. Start listing them out. The, se the second thing, because the reason I say that is because right here in the text, it says this. He goes, why do you have anxiety for your life concerning what you eat, what you drink, 
or your body as to what you should put on. See, what he's doing is he's saying, these are things that create worry in your life. So the biblical mechanics is identify the things that create worry and anxiety in your life. Step one. Step two, think about the effect worry and anxiety has on you as a person. Right here, verse 27 of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, which of you by being anxious? So if you're in the, the active mode of worrying about something or you are experiencing anxiety, how can that add a single cubit to your lifespan? In other words, what it does is it doesn't do anything for your life. It doesn't extend your life in any way, shape, or form. As a matter of fact, uh, today a lot of uh, uh, doctors, therapists, psychologists would say that worry and anxiety take away from your lifespan. <laughs> it doesn't add to it. So the second thing is think about the effect that worry and anxiety has on you as a person. This is why transcendence, being able to not be so personally involved in your own life, is critical, is a, is a mental technique, is it allows you to evaluate, when I start to worry, this is what happens. Um, I've told this story before, and there's not a lot of things that really, you know, make me worry. Uh, but when, I, when I'm hardcore worrying, I totally lose my mind. And people are just shocked about this because they're going, like, well, Pastor, you're kind of the most, most level-headed person and you're always analyzing and you're always, you know, looking at different angles. I go, that's true. But when I worry about something, I totally lose my mind. And, Kate, and here's a story that, to illustrate this point. My daughter had just started driving. She's probably about 16, 16 and a half. She's driving. She wanted to drive out to, to see a friend. And so... She, there's a main road, main highway close to our neighborhood, and she gets on it, and she drives a few miles away to visit this friend. Uh, at this time, we, my wife had a cell phone. I had a cell phone, and she had a cell phone. And so what happened is I was a little nervous, right, about her taking the family car as a big Ford Expedition on her own, driving out there and driving back. She, she wasn't a real confident driver quite yet. So she gets out. She's coming back, and I didn't have my phone with me. And so my phone starts to ring because I had turned the ringer on because I knew she was gone. And as soon as I get to my phone, I see missed call from my daughter's name. And then immediately, my wife's phone starts to call a uh, ring. And I go, oh, my gosh. And by now, I'm starting to worry. And you know what happens? is I go and I grab my wife's phone, okay? And I answer it real quick. And my daughter was really upset. She goes, Dad, I don't know what's going on. Something happened to the car. I heard this huge loud bang, and I had to turn off, and I'm on this road, and I don't know where I'm at. You know, I can't find myself, da 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 And what's interesting is, at that time, I had my phone in my pocket, my, in my hand. I had my wife's phone talking to my daughter. And so I... I have my keys in my pocket. I run out and I jump in my truck and I tear off. I have no idea where my daughter is. Number two, I'm not wearing my glasses and I'm required to wear glasses when I drive because I can't read the road signs. So even if she told me what 
road she was on, I couldn't read the sign to the road. So I tear off and I'm talking to her. Are you north of the highway? Are you south of the highway? At that time, my daughter was like, I don't know. <laughs> she goes, I'm on this road. It's on this road. I'm on this road. And so I'm tearing around. I'm trying to find this road. And I'm, I'm yelling, where are you? I'm trying to find you. Are you okay? I mean, I literally lost my brain. I, I could not have a rational, cogent thought in my brain because I was so concerned about my daughter, right? And what's so funny is my oldest son, saw me go, you know, running out of the house with my hair on fire. And of course I have mom's phone in my other phone. And so it's so funny is he was just cool as a cucumber and he pulls up his phone and he looks on his phone and he kind of, there's a little app called find my friends on Apple. And so he pulls it up and he finds exactly where McKenzie is his sister and so he and his mom get in the car and they drive right to her and they get there before I do. And what ended up happening is my daughter was just driving and another vehicle was driving alongside her and it was a big backfire, you know, and it sounded like a gunshot and it scared her. She pulled over. She's so upset. But what was so funny about that is my, my kids and, and Kim stuff says, man, when something happens to you, you're so calm. But when something happens to one of your kids, you lose your mind. <laughs> and that is so true. That's what worry does to us, right? Is it causes us to not think clearly, to not make good decisions, to not process what's going on. And so it's really important for me to realize, man, in those situations, things that threaten my children's lives or well-being I can go to worry or anxiety super fast. And if I do, if I allow that to happen, guess what? I'm of no use to them and I'm no use to me. I become a liability because I am out of my mind, literally. And so worry has a detrimental effect. But unless I could step back and see its effect on me, then I'm incapable of not allowing it to rule my mind in the future. And so I become less of a worrier, right? And one of the ways you become less of a worrier, it's really interesting. He says right here in the text, he goes, why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field. He says, uh, look at the grass of the field. That's so temporary. God loves you more than the grass. Look at the birds and what they eat, you know, they're always full. And what he's doing is he's saying, play out this mental scenario in your head. Look at the bird. What do you see when you look at the bird? They're always full, but they don't sow and reap. I want you to look at, uh, I, I really want you to look at the lilies of the field and how they are arrayed. So what he's saying is play out these scenarios in your head you know, what do you see and what is the outcome? And I think right there is a very powerful biblical principle. That is to, in order to become less of a worrier, the way to deal with anxiety is you have to not only identify what causes it, number two, its effect on you, but third, you start to have to play out scenarios where you see your worrying making zero difference in the outcome. So you have to play, you have to compare. It's like, okay, worrying about it, getting upset has no beneficial outcome. It's the same thing for me. It's like losing my mind because my child is in danger. 
is not good. It's not good. My child needs an adult who can make good decisions, who can manage the situation because they have a calm, cool, collected head about them. So the way you do that is you play out these comparison scenarios in your head, like he says right here. And then you determine the outcome of those scenarios. It's like, man, wouldn't it be great if I would have just kept my head, made a good decision, given my wife her phone, got my phone, got my glasses, had her calm down, say, hey, honey, I'll be there for a second, say a prayer of protection over her over the phone because that would have calmed her down. And then I could have found her through find my friends, goes right to where she's at without any problem. And then I wasn't worried about her. I wouldn't be worried about the car. I wouldn't be worried about anything. And then my daughter wouldn't have to deal with the emotional insanity that her husband, that her dad was putting on her. Right. Cause my emotional response to that situation didn't comfort her. It just caused her to be worried if she's ever in that situation before even more. So you see how that works? So some of the mechanics, and I'm going to go into more of this on Thursday because we're running out of time today, but I just wanted to say there are biblical mechanics for dealing with worry and anxiety. And what's interesting is psychologists and psychiatrists are using these biblical mechanics to deal with worry and anxiety today in their therapy and treatment protocols, which is really quite fascinating, showing once again that Jesus knew what he was doing and talking about. Now, I, I just hope that if you deal with worry, if you deal with anxiety in your life, I want you to know a couple things. Number one, it's absolutely real. It's absolutely real. Number two, it does impact your life and it can impact your life in a negative way. You know that, and that's why you don't like it. Number three, no matter how bad your worrying is, no matter how bad your anxiety is, I want you to know at the depth of your core that you can be free. There is hope that this does not have to define your life or control your life, but you can be free of it. Now, the path may be a journey that takes time, work, hard work, and effort. But guess what? There is a guide in this journey, and his name is Jesus. And he gives you the strength, and he gives you the encouragement. He gives you the perseverance to keep doing the hard work so that you can walk in the fullness of freedom from worry and anxiety. And this is my hope for you as a salty pastor, that you're willing to believe in the innermost being, the depth of your soul, that Jesus wants to heal you and restore you and redeem you from the detrimental impact of worry and anxiety in your life. So that's the Salty Pastor for this week. It's all we have. And come back on Thursday because we're going to dig into a lot more practical things about worry and anxiety as we have an honest discussion about our mental health. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. And I hope you join me on Thursday.